If you please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 23, so the rest of chapter 3 today. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 953. So we're back in 1 Corinthians, and in, in this section, Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church for the divisions that exist in this church. And we saw that the source of these divisions really was, was their worldliness. The Corinthians, not unlike the modern church, was thinking like the world. They were following the wisdom of the world. They weren't following God's wisdom. And two weeks ago, we looked at the first four verses of chapter 3, where Paul is saying, Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as of the flesh. So Paul is calling them infants in Christ. They're believers, they were saved, but they're still infants. They had not grown up, they had not matured. They were still drinking the spiritual milk. They recognized their, their complete dependence upon God, on, on the blood of Christ for their salvation. They were believers. They were saved by grace, but they lived by works. They ceased to live by faith. They ceased to trust Christ in every area of their lives. And they reverted to the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh. Their actions and their lives were undistinguishable from that of unbelievers. Well, today we continue with the same theme, and we see exactly how this fleshly way of thinking, this, this being infants in Christ, how this played out into these divisions that they face in this church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 23, hear now the word of the Lord. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and your Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word. And Father, I do pray for your spirit to be with me, Lord, that I will speak your words by the inspiration of the power, by 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you open our ears to hear from you. And Father, we do want to have an encounter with you. And Lord, we pray that you will change us because of this encounter. We will see Christ. We will love him more. We will glorify him. And Father, we will be changed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a temptation that we all face in the Christian life. It's a temptation for new Christians. It's a temptation for mature Christians. It's a temptation for church members. It's a temptation for for elders and deacons and pastors. And it's subtle. It goes unrecognized, unnoticed. And it comes most often when we are being faithful to the Lord. When we take serious His Word. When we're living in obedience to His Word. And this temptation takes two forms. And one of these forms is more prominent in leaders and, and mature Christians. And the other is more prominent in newer believers and, and, and followers. It's, it's really between disciples and disciplees. And each one of us can bounce back and forth between, depending on the relationship that we're in. And these forms feed on one another. They mutually encourage one another, really to further bondage to this temptation and further blindness to this temptation. And these temptations, in the first form, is a desire to be someone else's savior. We have a desire to be a hero, to be the one who solves all the problems, to be looked up to. We have a desire to be admired, to be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother of someone else, so that someone to look at and say, wow, that person is a really strong Christian. They have it together. And the opposite form of this temptation is to look to another person, to be our savior, to be our hero, to solve all of our problems, to have all the answers. We want someone of whom we can blindly follow, uncritically follow, that can tell us what to think. And we all want to be this. We want Most of us are bounce back and forth between both of them. We both want to be a hero and a fan of another person. And this natural temptation was what was leading to the divisions that we see in the Corinthian church. And it leads to divisions in our church as well, in the modern church. Now, we don't know if the leaders here were, fall, were, were falling for this, but the Corinthians definitely were. See, they elevated their spiritual leaders. They elevated Paul and Apollos and Cephas way beyond anything that the Lord had intended for them to be. And as a consequence, they were, the, they were these sinful worldly divisions that existed in the church. And in this passage, Paul reorients our thinking. He reorients it so it can protect us and protect them from falling victim to really these insidious temptations that will undermine the Christian life and really prevent us from from growing into the spiritual maturity. And the four areas that Paul addresses here is the first one is the function of spiritual leaders. It's the function. What, What is the godly view and understanding of these leaders? The second is the foundation. What is the foundation for all spiritual truth? What is the only source, regardless of who the leader is? Third, what are the factors for spiritual formation? Right? What are the things that we do to interact with this foundation? How do we apply this foundation to our Christian lives? And the fourth thing is, what is the hope? What is the reward of this spiritual life? So these are four things we're going to look at today. So let's start off with the function of the spiritual leaders. Paul begins this section with really with this great illustration 
that, that really should shatter any ideas that we may have about spiritual heroes. And, and it should humble any leaders who might think more highly of themselves, as well as preventing followers from making an idol out of any other Christian. And the illustration that he gives here is that of a farmer. If you look at verses 5 through 8, he says, What is Apollos? What is Paul? And these are, these are apostles. These are great men in the Bible. There are statues made of these men. There are churches named after these men. What does Paul say? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So they're not heroes. They're simply servants. They're simply the instrument that the Lord used through whom they believed. How they believed. Verse 6, he goes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, Paul planted, Apollos watered. But where does the growth come from? The growth comes from God and God alone. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, planting and watering, they're important. But that's not the hard part. That's not the essential part. The essential part of the growth. I remember when I was a kid, I would plant a lot of things in the ground. I didn't quite understand how agriculture worked. And I remember taking a matchbox car. It looked a little bit like a car seed. So I took the, I dug a hole in the ground. I put my matchbox car in there. I faithfully you know, put it down. I, I watered it faithfully. I expected to have a car tree grow. It didn't work that way. See, I was faithful in planting. I was faithful in watering. But God brings the growth, and God does not grow trees, grow cars on trees. Verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. See, Paul is showing here that, that he and Apollos are not competitors. They're on the same side. They're one. They are co-laborers in this vineyard, in this, in this farm, growing. And it's, it's really worldly thinking when we see other faithful Christians, when we see other churches as competitors. So we're saying, oh, there's, there's, there's only so much of a market. You know, if another church is planted here, they're going to st- steal some of my share. That's worldly thinking. I even knew one church I heard of where the majority of the members voted to leave the denomination. They didn't, they didn't agree with the denomination. And they wanted to buy the building, the building that they had paid for, that they had built and their, and their, and their uh, parents had built in this denomination. And the denomination would not sell it to them. They sold it to an Islamic center instead. They didn't see the, the, the Muslims as competitors, but they saw these members who were once part of their church, fellow Christians, as competitors. This is worldly thinking. This is being an infant in Christ. And it's not saying that leadership is unimportant. Planting is important. Watering is necessary. And each will receive the wages, his wages, his rewards from his labor. But they are not where the increase comes from. It comes from God. It comes from God alone. See, God is the hero. It's not the planter. It's not the waterer. And this is, this is the function of spiritual leader. He is to be a faithful laborer. Nothing more, nothing less. It's important, but it's not the hero. He's not the one responsible for the growth. The second truth we see here is the foundation. The foundation for spiritual truth. It's Christ. Christ alone is the source of all spiritual truth. Christ is the foundation. See, any other foundation, any other source is useless. Look at verses 10 and 11. According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
and this is really extremely important for us, the only foundation of the church, the only source of spiritual truth is Christ. The only way of salvation is Christ. And this is not going to be popular. If you say this, you will not be popular. But these are the words of Jesus himself. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are not multiple paths. There is one path, and it is Jesus Christ. Any spiritual wisdom that does not come through Christ is false. If it does not come through Christ, it is useless. It will not help. Not truly help. Not eternally help. And the temptation that we face, those of us who want to be spiritual heroes, is we'll give worldly advice, temporary advice, human wisdom. And this will work. It will work in a temporary sense. It will provide temporary relief. And we will become heroes. People will look up to us. It will provide help. But again, all this help is temporary. It is not eternal. It will provide absolutely no eternal good. And there, are, there are a lot of organizations that do good things in this world. I think of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. They teach useful techniques. Many of them are, are, are built on Christian principles. But if, you, if you're familiar with any of those organizations, they always focus on a higher power. It's, it could be whatever you want, that higher power. I remember talking to someone who went through this. He said, this chair could be the higher power for me. If that's my higher power, that will work. But the best thing that they can do with these higher powers is manage an addiction. But if it's not, because it, it's not based on Christ, but if it's based on Christ, Christ has real spiritual power. Christ alone can provide freedom. That's why ministries like the the Anchorage that rely on Christ, not a higher power, but on the real higher power, they are much more successful. And even if you don't have deliverance in this life, Christ will, uh, deliverance will come. It will come in eternity through Christ. I remember years ago, um, Lynn and I and another couple were starting this, this group called Marriage Enrichment. It was teaching these, I don't know if any of you have heard of it, it teaches communication uh, techniques to help, to help with marriages. And we had a, a minister come to our group to discuss the program. And I remember he said, he said now you shouldn't use the Bible and, and you, shouldn't use, you shouldn't really share the gospel in this because we want this to be open to, to non-Christians and Muslims and atheists because it, these techniques will help them. You know, you know me, that really didn't go well with me. I, I, I said something snarky like, they'll go to hell, but at least they'll have a good marriage. And, and the minister kind of wrote me off on that. But if it's not Christ, if it's not built on Christ, it's eternally useless. It's eternally useless. And we must be careful not to build on any foundation other than Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that temporal results are bad. No, not, not at all. Right? If, if those of you who are doctors, if someone's bleeding to death, yes, you, you save them. That's a good thing. If you build houses, you build quality houses, that's a good thing. If you teach math or computers or engineering, all these things are good things. These help people. These help people live better in this world. But they are all temporary. There is no eternal good apart from the foundation of Christ. And for the Christian, this temporal good can be used... It could be used to, to further, you know, if you're using the, the farmer analogy, this temporal good that we use could be used to, to plow the ground, to prepare the soil, to receive the eternal message, the eternal message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is the only thing that has eternal saving power. I know a man who is, who is an ER doctor, and he fixes his bodies the best he can, all that come to him. If they're gay or straight or, or Muslim or Christian, it doesn't matter. But he always offers to pray with the patients and share the gospel with them. He also shares with other doctors he works with in residence. And he tells them that I can only provide temporary healing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, this can give you the true healing. This can give you the eternal healing. You see, you fix the body, but you also provide for the soul. See, Christ alone is the foundation of all spiritual truth. He is the source of all eternal good. But even with this right foundation, we must build with the right materials. See, there are many churches. There are many Christians. They have the right foundation. They acknowledge Christ. They acknowledge Christ as the only hope of eternal life. But then they build on that foundation with the wrong materials. They build on that foundation with worldly materials. And this brings us to our third point, the factors of spiritual formation. Look at verses 12 through 15. Paul says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a couple of things I want us to notice here. The first thing, look at verse 15. It says, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I think this is very important. This person will be saved, even if his works are burnt up. And this is because we are not saved by works. We are saved by Christ. And Christ is the foundation. Even if you have crummy works on the foundation, you are still saved. And this person that he's referred to in verse 15, he has the foundation. He is building on Christ. So he's eternally secure. But this person in verse 15, he is the infinite Christ that we talked about two weeks ago. Right? This is a Christian. They are saved, but they are building by the world's methods. They're not using the spiritual material, the spiritual tools. And this brings us to the building materials. What are these materials? What are these factors of spiritual formation? See, each person builds with different materials. It says with gold and with silver and precious stones and wood and hay and straw. And Paul here is using an illustration. But what do these materials represent? Well, this is basically the same thing that we have been looking at in 1 Corinthians for the last several weeks. These materials basically represent this contrast that we've been looking at the last several weeks between the worldly wisdom and God's wisdom. You see, the more precious the material, the more spiritual power it has, the more of God's wisdom it contains. And the less precious material, this is the more worldly use. This is the, the fleshly wisdom. And right, this makes sense. If, if you were going to build with, with these materials like gold or silver or precious stone or wood or hay, the more costly the material, the more durable it is, the longer it will last. Right? We, can, we can make a hut out of straw and, and hay. It would be relatively easy, relatively inexpensive, and it could last for a few weeks, but it would be gone. We can make a house out, out of wood. Most of our houses are made out of wood, and they can last for, for a couple of decades. But think of structures made out of stone, such as castles or cathedrals that last for centuries. 
See, the more precious the material, the more durable the material. I mean, just think of, of builders. I remember when I, when I was working in college, um, working with some builders, and, and we saw some houses that looked beautiful on the outside, but they were really made with some really crummy material. And they would look great, and, and people would pay a lot of money for them, and a year was starting to fall apart. You see, that's what happens when, when we use the, 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 say you have a limited budget. You can, you can make something that looks impressive outwardly, but you're using these less durable materials versus something that would be, say, it would, be, it would seem more impressive, but it would be temporary. And here's exactly where we see this temptation, this subtle temptation for those who want to be heroes, those who want to be a savior, those who want others to look up to us as, as heroes or saviors. And the temptation for us is to use the world's methods. Because they work. They really do work. Taking these shortcuts in, in, the, in the short run, in, in, in the short time frame, using the world's materials will have a big impact. Will make a quick impact. Faithfulness takes much longer. It's a slower process. It's a much less flashy process. The results take decades, over a lifetime, sometimes generations to see the results of following God's plan. And we don't have the patience. So we want to have that flashy. We want everyone to be impressed with us. So we use the world's methods. And sadly, sadly, far too many worldly Christians, far too many infants in Christ, far too many of these wannabe saviors build with the world's materials, with worldly and fleshly wisdom. And these structures for a time seem impressive often appearing much more impressive than the modest structures constructed by godly wisdom, according to God's word and according to his principles, using God's materials, using the precious stones and the gold and the silver. But these infants in Christ, they they have a short-run time frame. They're, They're not thinking in terms of eternity. Anything built with the world's materials will be burned up. It will be burned up. It will be, if it's built with wood or hay or straw, it will be burned when it's tested by fire. Only that which is built by God's materials will survive this fire. So what, is this, what does this look like? Let me, let me put some, some flesh on the bones here, so to speak. See, there are many Christian churches that are built on the, on the foundation of Christ. They, they really are. They, they are. they have the solid gospel. They are Christians. But what they do is they employ worldly means to draw a crowd. And their, their motives are good. They, they say, well, we need to get them in the door. So what we'll do, they'll hear the gospel. So we'll give them secular music. We'll give them a concert. I even heard one that had a circus, a real circus with lions. And what they do is they, 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 they give free entertainment in this worship service. And each time it has to get bigger and more exciting and appealing to the flesh. And they keep going more and more over the top. I mean, it's exhausting. Now, I'm not talking about evangelistic events. Some, sometimes those are appropriate. I, I knew one church that put on a, a, a fireworks show, and they had a gospel message. That, that's fine. We, we went to ASU. We provided food for them, and we shared the gospel. It's fine to provide for physical needs as an opportunity to share the gospel. But what I'm talking about is worship services. Worship services, you know, the purpose of worship is, is God. It is to worship God. It's really not for us. That's really not, and it's certainly not for unbelievers. It's, but what they're doing is they're, they're drawing a crowd. They're using these worldly means. And even worse, they're tailoring the message to what people want to hear rather than what Scripture says. They hide what the church believes not to offend. They want to draw a crowd. They're building with hay and straw. 
I, I, I heard of a church, it was, it, was, it was a pastor talking about, about this, this one young lady who went to his church who, had, who stopped coming. And he, he saw her a couple months later and, and asked her, you know, you go to church? And he said, well, I'm going to this church down the street. And, and she said, he said, you know, can I ask you, you know, why you changed? You know, and he says, well, you know, I don't agree with what you guys teach on homosexuality. And the pastor says, I know that other pastor, I know that church, they believe the same thing. They just don't say it. They know it will offend people. There are so many churches that will just keep quiet on those things that are going to offend. Now, I'm not saying that you purposely try to offend people, but when the text says it, you don't dance around it. And that's what these people do. That's what building with hay or straw does. Because what, you, what happens is you get people in the church sitting there who think they're believers. They say, oh, I agree with all this stuff. And they're not. They're not. I don't want to stand before the Lord. And when he's saying, how did you lead that flock that I gave to you? Did you share, did you feed them the word that I gave you? Or did you use hay and straw to build? And then I will be held accountable. I don't want that. I'd rather have five people that are true believers that I'm preaching to than have 5,000 that are worldly coming because they want to see the lions in the circus. So this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. See, building with, now, Conversely, building with gold and silver and precious stone, this is relying on God's word. This is relying on prayer. This is unapologetically teaching the whole counsel of God, not just what is popular, not what is also teaching what is currently unpopular. See, the gold and the silver and the precious stones, they will challenge the hearers. And here's, here's something to keep in mind. If whenever you're reading your Bible here in a sermon, you agree with everything, most likely you're just hearing your own words. If it doesn't challenge you, you're probably not hearing God's word. I often will read the Bible and say, oh, I don't like that. And I want to, I want to go around, I, I don't like that. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you try to, try to justify, well, it doesn't really mean that. You're just listening to your own self-talk. And far too many Christian churches, they treat the gospel really as a product to be marketed. And marketing works, it really does. I mean, look at all the stuff that we have in our lives that we buy. We buy cars, we buy potato chips, we buy, uh, you know, computers, and, and we have to get the latest gadget. Marketing works. So we use the same thing for churches. We market churches. And guess what? It works. For now, temporary, in this world. But they will not work eternally. They will all be burnt up. So all this gain that we have will be burned up because it's not built with the right materials. See, God's wisdom, God's means, they, they seem totally absurd to the world. You know, speaking to the air, that makes sense. Reading from this old book and, and, and listening to someone babble for, for a half hour, that makes no sense. Wouldn't it be much better showing movies and having stuff flashing, having lions and tigers in a circus? That's fun. That's going to draw a crowd. But God chooses these means specifically because they make no sense, because they don't seem effective. The world would not do them. And the reason why is because when they are effective and when people come, he alone gets the glory. Not the lion tamer, not the movie, not the preacher. He alone gets the glory. And this is the temptation that we face. But the reality is, the reality is we don't need to fall for this temptation. We don't need to have uh, and false messiahs. We don't need to be a false messiah for someone. And the reason is because we have something infinitely better. <clears throat> we don't need a false messiah because we have a real messiah. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is real. 
And we come here to this, this last point, the joy, the real hope that we have. So our last point here is our hope in the spiritual life. Look at verses 20 to 23. It says, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Don't boast in men. Don't make heroes of men. Don't try to be the savior of others. It's impossible. And, and, and really what it does when we do that, when we look to someone else, whoever it is, we are settling for far less than the Lord has for us. Far less than the Lord has for those who are faithful to him. Look at the rest of the verse. So it says, uh, do not boast in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Just, just let that sink in. He's not talking about part of things. He's saying all things are yours. And Paul goes on to clarify what this means in verses 22 and 23. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. See, all these leaders, all these hearers they were making, they belong to Christ. And what their function is, is to point them to Christ. Their labor, their labor is not for themselves. Their labor is for them, to point them to Christ. There's no competition. The goal is the same. They are God's servant. But it doesn't even stop there. It says whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. See, in Christ, all things are ours. Think about that. All things in this world exist for us. Did you ever realize that? Everything in this world exists for us. Governments exist for us. This world exists for us. It exists for God's people. See, all things work together, either to bring God's elect to him to saving faith, and those who then are have saving faith is to conform us into God's image, into Christ's image. That is the purpose of this world. That is the purpose of all things. Everything in this world, everything in this universe is for us, for God's people. It's amazing. It's amazing. It belongs to us. So why should we want to settle for something less? So why should we want to settle to be someone's hero? Why should we want to settle for only a human hero or for a spectacle or for lions or, or, or whatever we want? Why should we Settle for anything less because we have much more. We have all things. But even here we need to be careful because we are fallen and our fallen minds will take this beautiful reality and twist it. You'll say, oh, all is mine. Mm, All is mine. I must deserve it. I must be something pretty special. And if I'm pretty special, then I don't have to answer to anyone. I am a law into myself. I'm autonomous. I must be God. That's what we all do. This is our default sin. Every single one of us, Christian or non-Christian, wants to be autonomous. We want to be God. Verse 23 grounds us. Verse 23 pulls us back to reality. Let's just know our place. It says, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. See, we are not now, nor will we ever be autonomous. When we are in the new heavens and the new earth, a billion years. You come, I, I tell you, you come look me up wherever I am, a billion years in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, we'll come find each other. And I tell you, I bet you I'll be right. We will not be autonomous. We will still be just as dependent on Christ in a billion years as we are at this very moment. All these privileges that we have come from Christ. They come through Christ. Our union with Christ. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And this sin of of wanting to be autonomous, this really lies at the heart of this temptation to want to be a hero or the temptation to to worship other people 
I don't, I, I, it's a lot easier for me to deal with this person that I can see than really deal with God, have him. I, I'd rather make this person my hero. And this lies at this temptation. This lies at the temptation to worship other people, the temptation to build with the world's materials. I can use this. I can see these world materials. I can use them. The temptation to prefer the world's wisdom. But it's all a lie. It is a lie. We will never be autonomous. We are finite created beings that will always, always belong to something. See, we'll either belong to Christ, which brings life and joy, or we will be in bondage to sin. We will be in bondage to ourselves, which only brings death, which only brings misery. So my friends, the, 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 the takeaway from this sermon is simple. Resist this temptation. Cling to Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for this word that you have given us. And Father, help us to apply it. Because just like me, I'm sure everyone here says that makes sense. And it does make sense to us intellectually. Until we get down and actually have to apply it, then we still want to be heroes. Then we still want to be autonomous. Then we still want to be in control. We still want to build with worldly material. Father, protect us from that. Give us the vision of what you're doing. Give us the vision that all things belong to us. We don't need to compromise. We have all things. Father, make this reality true for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.